Welcome to Biohack Your Beauty, Episode 6. I'm your host, Dora Vandekamp, and I'm here to help you find the most powerful beauty biohacks, nutrition principles, spiritual practices, and lifestyle habits, which is especially relevant today because we have the lifestylist in the house. My mission is to inspire you to discover and embrace your own innate powers of longevity, self-optimization, and radiant vitality. This show has been brought to you by Shazandu. Today, I want to tell you about Shazandu's wildcrafted more mud mask, which really is 100% pure. You can read the ingredients and it will only say mud. However, That mud is full of herbs, flowers, organic compounds, humic and fulvic acid, and naturally occurring essential oils. I love how it makes my face all glowy and luxuriously soft and smooth. Check out Shazandu products at shazandu.com and use discount code DORA for 12% off your order. So imagine someone who has gone to biohacking university. Well, that is the phenomenon that is Luke's story. Luke is the greatest source of information for biohacking the physical and spiritual body. If you want to know where to begin with biohacking or how to up your health game, this is the interview you need to hear. Luke's story has spent the past 21 years researching and developing the ultimate lifestyle to obtain a state of optimal health, performance, and well-being. Luke is a former Hollywood celebrity fashion stylist who isn't afraid to go to the extremes when it comes to biohacking. He continues to scour the earth for the most cutting edge as well as ancient technologies of healing and personal transformation. Luke is a public speaker, transformational coach, and entrepreneur who shares his strategies for well-being through his innovative and highly effective lifestyle design coaching system and his podcast, The Lifestylist. Some of the questions we answer on the show today include, is radiation poisoning real or is it just a hippy-dippy theory? What biohacks are optimal to protect against EMFs? How can you biohack your bedroom to get optimal sleep? How can you biohack your air travel? What supplements does Luke swear by? How should you eat for beautiful skin? And what are Luke's top three beauty biohacks? Luke and I geek out about biohacking on the show today, so you'd be crazy not to listen to this goldmine of anti-aging and wellness resources. I hope you enjoy the show. Without further ado, Luke's story. Okay, I'm officially all yours. Yay! Well, speaking of California, I hear you want to kind of move your way out of Los Angeles. And you mentioned that it has to do a little bit with the 5G that's coming. Dun, dun, dun. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about what that means for us. Because a lot of people are really excited about this 5G that's coming. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I'm really excited about going into a concentration camp. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's sad, you know. uh, uh, The... Telecommunications multinational corporations have a vested interest in making money. And I understand that. If I was a major shareholder in Verizon, who is my cell provider, thanks Verizon, (laughs) uh, I'd probably be really interested in 
making the service better and making it more widespread and if I was someone that uh, manufactured cell towers and had cutting edge technology to make data faster and all of that, I would have a vested interest in putting those goddamn things all over the world on every street corner. However, those companies are not motivated by public safety and public health and have a long track record of, in fact, suppressing or denying very real, scientifically valid risks, risks to all life on Earth, not just human biology, but the biology of all living things, including plants and animals, uh, through the use of this technology. So it's now fairly well understood that if a human being walks around with a cell phone on their head, they're very likely to get brain cancer eventually. Uh, people that live near cell towers, uh, people that have a lot of Wi-Fi around them, people that have smart meters on their house, there's a worldwide epidemic of um, of health issues arising from the use of this technology. So while I'm sitting here with a hardwired computer that I'm watching you on and speaking into, I do have Wi-Fi in my apartment for when I need it. Um, but I try to use it as little as possible. I have my ethernet going. And of course, like I have my cell phone over here. And so I'm using technology. I try to minimize the damage, but the issue with 5G, and I'm no scientist, I'm no scholar, uh, but I do a bit of research about these things on the fringes. And uh, the issue with the 5G technology is that it's the same issue with our current cell towers that are all over the place, and it's called radiation. You know, so people know if you go, um, you know, to the doctor and they do an X-ray on you, what happens? They put a little lead vest on you and they put you alone in a room and they step outside, right? There's a reason why. It's because radiation is a known uh, carcinogen, right? And so. If you have a cell tower a couple miles away and you're getting cell service and you're not holding your phone up to your head, I mean, it's not great for you, but no big deal. The issue with 5G is that it's a different type of radiation. It's a millimeter wave, kind of like those things you walk through if you don't know better to opt out when you go into the airport where you raise your hands up. It's a different um, frequency of radiation. And the issue with that is that it's not uh, stronger in the sense that it goes further. So what they have to do with 5G is they have to put more antenna up in more places and have them closer to people's homes, lower to the ground, like on phone poles and things like that. Like you'll notice most cell towers are on the top of a building and I feel really bad for whoever lives in that building or works in that building mm -hmm. or they're in a giant tower. So the 5G is going to be like on the side of your house or on a telephone pole right in front of your house. And so, um, well, I don't know the, the, the scientific implications of it. Uh, it's pretty much undisputed by all people in, you know, what you would call kind of renegade and alternative health that this type of radiation um, is really not good for us, you know. And so it's one of these things where you don't have a lot of control in terms of opting out. In fact, there's a number of cases already, um, in, in fact, from my hometown in Santa Rosa, California, uh, where people are fighting, um, you know, Verizon or PG&E, whoever it is that's putting up cell towers, because they'll just come without your consent and pop one up right in front of your house. And if you get an EMF meter, and this is where people, you know, that are more um, skeptical, oh, they wouldn't do it if it wasn't safe, right? If you get an EMF meter and just walk around your neighborhood and walk around your house, like if you have an EMF specialist, electromagnetic field specialist that comes in, takes about $10,000 worth of equipment to really assess the, the risk going on in your home. But if you had someone walk around with a meter in your neighborhood or in your apartment or your house, you would be shocked to find the amount of 
uh, electro smog essentially that's going on already just with the way things are. Mm-hmm. So while I don't like to be a fear monger or be paranoid because I think fear is inherently worse for you than a cell phone, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. fear also causes cancer. So does anger. I mean, I really believe in being emotionally healthy and emotionally aware, but then there's also the side of just hard science and reality. And the reality is, as I said, is that the telecommunications industry does not have any vested interest in health. And in fact, uh, the more credence they give to the health risks, uh, the less money they make, you know, so you have a huge conflict of interest. What the answer is, I don't know. I feel like my cell phone works fine. Like I don't need a fast. <laughs> I, I agree a, with you. What I don't is need that? Faster service. Uh-huh. Like my internet's fine. It's a little buggy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I'm cool. Yeah. But it's 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 about money, you know. And so um, it's it's unfortunate that it's one of those things that is going to become seemingly um, ubiquitous and virtually impossible to avoid. And so when you mentioned me moving out of Los Angeles. Part of that is because uh, I just, it's like even just today, I just walk out of my house, I walk my new dog, Cookie, and... Yay, Cookie. Yeah, she's so awesome. She's just like me. She just likes to lay around. <laughs> like, I, t- I take her to the gym, and she just sits there and looks at me like, why are you doing that? I go, I don't know. This is, You're right. This is ridiculous. Uh, but I'm walking around with Cookie, and I'm just going like, oh, my God, it's just the trash trucks. There's just noise. And I've lived in Los Angeles in the middle of the city for 30 years. Wow. This will be my 30th year, you know? And so it's when I had started talking about that on social, it was sort of triggered by, and Los Angeles is going to be, I think it's the third or fourth city that's going to roll out 5G starting this year, which means like potentially on every other street corner, there's going to be a huge radiation transmitter blasting everyone in the freaking head. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of like a feeling that I already had to at least move to the outskirts of the city. Uh, It's when I put that out on social, everyone's like, come to Portland, go to Idaho, (laughs) go. I'm like, no, you guys like I yeah. I still own a business in L.A. Mm-hmm. I still do a lot of podcasting here. I like doing my podcast live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like doing them on Skype. I mean, it's lovely to meet you on Skype, but it would be more awesome if we were just sitting in the living room or yeah. I did one out in Joshua Tree Park the other day. Mm-hmm. I recorded it. So um, it's nice to be close to L.A. So when I say move out of the city, that means more like Malibu, Topanga. Uh, the furthest I could probably go would be Ojai or something, you know, right. which is about an hour, hour and a half outside of LA. But it is um, it is potentially really scary for anyone that, that lives in a city where they're rolling out 5G. And even frankly, anyone that lives in a city now, I mean, when I go to New York, it's insane. You mm-hmm. just, like sometimes I'll stay, not so much, but I used to stay in Airbnbs because I um, would go there with my fashion school, School of Style, and I'd check into my Airbnb, <laughs> open the curtains, and there'd be a, like a huge panel of cell <laughs> towers on the building right across from my yeah. bedroom. And I'm like, oh, my and God. And all the smart meters, too. You're like, oh, yeah, why like, can't oh, I get away? Lose, I'll yeah. lose $3,000 if I move out of here. So I would just deal with it, you know. But I feel so bad for people that live in areas like that that are so congested with electrosmog. Because hippy-dippy shit aside, uh, it's just undeniable that all of these fields that we're surrounded with interrupt the natural processes of our human bodies, you know. And... um not to mention all of the blue light and all of that stuff. So it sucks because I like a lot of the elements of living in a city, um, mostly because of the culture and the people that I'm able to be around that don't really exist or at least not in abundance in a smaller town. So that's my answer to that. But uh, what I would recommend to people that are listening that 
are a little more pragmatic and like to see the facts is just Google 5G plus cancer. <laughs> Watch what you get. Okay. Watch what you get. Because if you just Google like, is 5G safe? You'll get a bunch of propaganda from mm -hmm. the telecommunications companies. And here's the thing that people I don't think understand. And I, you know, I'm a bit conspiratorial because listen, there are a lot of conspiracies against us. And it's not that you know, I necessarily believe that evil Satanists are running the world, although I think there are a lot of those in power as well, literally. Uh, but the issue is, is that these multinational corporations, uh, as innocent as some of them might be, people got to understand the same entities and multinational banking cartels that own telecommunications also own big pharma. They also own the media. All of these entities in our society that seem to be unrelated are actually controlled and owned by the same people at the top of the pyramid. I mean, that's just the way the world works. It's not even necessarily conspiracy. It's just, it's the structure of our monetary system and uh, our system of commerce. And so when you go to Google something like, is 5G safe, you're going to get a lot of counter information. On a Google, lot of, which is a oh, yeah, huge yeah, company. You know, you got to understand like, <laughs> You know, I, I couldn't make a map of who owns what, but it's pretty widely understood when you start following the money at the top of these corporations is essentially the same power structure. And so, of course, you're going to be led to believe that these things are safe because now your Verizon bill is going to go up $20 a month. And you don't notice that. But when you're doing that to 50 million people that have that service, that's a meaningful uh, revenue stream for Verizon, et cetera, right? Don't kick me off Verizon. I like your service, but <laughs> they're the ones that are rolling out 5G. And I'm like, God, do I need to leave Verizon? It's like, mm -hmm. it's one of those things too. Do you, do you leave Amazon because of some of the politics of Amazon yeah. that I don't agree with? It's like, I, I don't know. You still have to kind of live your life, but, uh, I would recommend that people just start doing some research and in terms of what you can do about it. Uh, there's a, there's a, a couple of guys that have a site called take back your power. And they did a film uh, of the same name, Take Back Your Power, I think is the name of the documentary. And that was mostly about smart meters and the crazy level of illness and pathology that was being, not was, that is created by smart meters. But they have something called the In Power Movement now, which is kind of a grassroots uprising to build public awareness and actually give uh, human rights back to the people as much as is possible, of course. Um, so there are some activists that are actually not crazy and they're healthy minded, normal people that are just going like, yo, this sucks. This isn't safe. Um, and I, I think that more of that is going to happen mm -hmm. in the near future, hopefully because of people like you asking people like me questions and saying like, Hey, I don't totally understand what's going on, but there's a lot of evidence that would indicate that this is not good mm -hmm. and what can we do about it? And even, you know, maybe you can move to the outback in Alaska for a while, but eventually they're going to put the towers up there. And, you know, as I said, the, the, the idea, the, the master plan for technology like this is that they blanket the entire earth with it. And then, then what do you do? It's like, you got to go live on a freaking space station. That's the plan. I think eventually. <laughs> so I, I, I try to stay positive, but also yeah. in reality, I'm, you know, I, I am border on paranoia because frankly, there's a lot to be paranoid about, but mm -hmm. at the same time, I think, um, positive energy and a spiritual connection and knowing that all is well and knowing that this lifetime is not the only lifetime. And this is just part of the human evolution in general and kind of zooming out and not being so caught up in the melodrama of, uh, you know, them that are out to get us <laughs> seemingly, 
um, is also healthy. So it's like a balanced uh, awareness of what's going on, being proactive when possible, but also not losing your shit over things that you can't control. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're all going to kick the bucket uh, sooner or later. So am I going to sit around like freaking out about all the power lines around me or am I just going to live my life and walk Mm -hmm. the dog? So it's kind of a, it's a delicate balance there. So what are some things that you do to protect yourself against radiation? You know, it's interesting. I recently just discovered, you know, I have it actually under my desk. Maybe I could, I could show you on your video. Hang on one sec. Let me grab this thing. Yeah. I got this thing here and this is cool for you guys watching on Insta live. Uh, this is called the cube and this is by, oh yeah, I was holding it off camera. This is by a company called Blue Shield. And I actually link out to these on my website, lukestory.com forward slash store. And this is something called Scalar Technology, S-C-A-L-A-R. And essentially what you do is you plug this little unit in uh, to the wall in the center of your house and it radiates um, a harmonic, how do I say this? A harmonious field throughout the house that your body recognizes and resonates with that helps you not resonate with all of the negative frequencies of technology. So everything is sound frequency and vibration, right? So the electrical fields in the house, the magnetic fields in your home created by refrigerators and uh, things that have motors, uh, there's magnetic fields coming off of uh, the transformers on the power lines around your house. There's, of course, as I discussed, Wi-Fi, there's your cell phone. There's all these different fields that we're being inundated by. And what this technology, the Blue Shield, not Blue Shield, mm-hmm. like the insurance, <laughs> they're from um, they're from New Zealand. And I always want to tell them, like, you guys, you might not know this, but there's like a huge insurance company called Blue Shield here. <laughs> but I think it's one word, Blue Shield. And um, I can send you the link. Or as I said, they're on my site. Uh, so what they've done is figured out a way not to block the EMS, but essentially to uh, have your body resonate with other frequencies that are positive so that it's not affected negatively by those. So I have my little cube here, and then there's also a pocket one that you hold um, that you can carry around when you're out and about, which is awesome. And then there's one that plugs in the lighter in your car. And so I have these three. I have this cube, I have the auto one, and I have the personal one. And... Um, The interesting thing about it is, and what's wrong with, I think, a lot of the EMF blocking technologies, I mean, I also have all these little blocking stickers all over my phone and all these little earth crystal things, like whatever, all that shit, I just put it everywhere. But the cube is the first one, and well, not just the cube, Blue Shield makes a bunch of them. They have like these big units that you can put in a school that protect the kids from the Wi-Fi in the school and all that. But what's interesting is their studies are done on animals which is really cool and not in a negative way like animal testing. But what Blue Shield has done is they've done a number of studies where they use um, animals on farms and things like that because there's no possibility of placebo. Like I could have this cube under my desk plugged in and I could be like, wow, all these fields aren't bothering me. I feel amazing. My head's clear. I have energy. I'm sleeping better. But you could put a freaking piece of plastic and call it a cube and tell me it's protecting me from EMF and it'll work just because of placebo. Placebo is awesome like that. I mean, it's a wonderful thing that our mind has so much power. But the Blue Shield guys actually have installed their units um, at various locations on farms where there are cell towers nearby. So you have like a cow farm. They did one with the chicken farm. 
And what they'll do is they'll do um, blood cell analysis and they'll also uh, analyze the milk from the cows and all sorts of different biomarkers with set of cows B, set of cows A, with and without this technology installed. Cell towers nearby, lots of radiation, lots of EMFs. They'll do it with chickens. Um, they'll be different. The eggs will be bigger and healthier. Like all of their biomarkers will improve wow. for the test group that does have this technology installed. That's the kind of stuff I like to see when it comes to, quote unquote, protecting yourself from EMFs. Because um, really the only way to scientifically validate that you're protected from EMFs without these types of devices that scramble the frequencies and do these sort of more invisible esoteric means of protecting you. The only way to really do it is to make your bedroom or your entire house a Faraday cage, which means you, you paint all the walls with shielding paint and you install shielded fabric curtains all over your house and you put um, a metal mesh on all the floors or under the floors that protect you from the wiring underneath and then you go in that house with your EMF meters or, you know, ideally you would do the bedroom. That's my next move. And those EMF meters are all zeroed out. Like that's truly the only way scientifically that you go like, okay, the meter did say 100, let's just say. I shielded this room. I come inside. My cell phone won't work and the meter's at zero. Mm -hmm. Like that's true protection. So what I always – well, not what I always say, but based on my latest research uh, because EMFs to me are – EMFs and geoengineering, those are the two like things that people should be concerned with. And GMOs, there's three, really. G people don't understand how gnarly GMOs oh are. My we God. kind of get like, oh, yeah, non-GMO, that's good. But people don't understand the mutations that occur in animals, in they, mammals, yeah. in any animal's body when they eat GMOs. But the EMF thing... I'm, I'm learning the more I learn, and blue light, we could include that, like artificial light at night, uh, is the biggest threat to life on Earth currently. And so uh, based on that, the two interventions that are currently at this point in time, in um, June 2018 as we <laughs> record this, is this technology that I recently found from Blue Shield, which uh, based on the studies with the animals and based on how I feel in my car when I carry this thing around in my room, placebo or not, uh, I'm feeling really good about it and they're affordable. They're a couple of hundred dollars per unit or something like that. Um, that's good. But what's also awesome is I would take three to $5,000. I'd hire an EMF mitigation specialist to come in and scan your home, find out where the hot spots are, specifically starting in your bedroom, and then do the shielded paint on your walls, uh, put whatever you can on the ground. Like if you have carpeting, you can just put shielding underneath all of your carpet. If you have wood floors, then you would just put a giant rug to cover the ugly shielding under your bed. And you would essentially just make your entire bedroom a Faraday cage. And a Faraday cage means no fields whatsoever can go in or out. So mm -hmm. you literally walk in there and your cell phone will just be dead. Mm -hmm. Like that's how crazy it is. But when you walk into a Faraday um, environment, it is the most peaceful feeling. And you can check your biomarkers like your heart rate variability. Um, you can check your brain waves with uh, QEEGs. If you're in a Faraday state, it's like being in before 1850 or whatever out in nature. And you can actually, you could do that in the middle of Manhattan. Mm. You could turn your room into a Faraday cage where you're totally cut off from all of these artificial fields. 
And the important thing about doing your bedroom and why I'm soon going to do it, because I spend thousands of dollars on all this biohacking shit. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a minute, I could have just taken literally probably three or four thousand dollars and shield my whole bedroom yeah. and spend one third of my life in that <laughs> true rest and digest, that true parasympathetic healing state that is supposed to be present while you're sleeping. Like literally the whole purpose of sleep is to detox and to heal and restore your body. But when your body is being hammered by EMFs in your bedroom, which we all are, I don't care where you live, uh, your body is actually incapable of healing itself. And so especially for people that have autoimmune issues and that have any kind of chronic illness, if you think you're gonna get well from taking supplements, based on my most recent research, you are tripping. Mm -hmm. The number one thing I would say is get a blue shield, get your house harmonized, I really think that it's valid. I'm also going to interview the founder and really drill into that because when I recommend things, I always talk to the CEO or the inventor or the founder. I want to know like where they got this, prove to me that it works before I use it and before I tell people about it. And so far, so good on this. But like I said, um, there's a guy I interviewed recently called Brian Hoyer, H-O-Y-E-R. And he's trained by an outfit out of uh, Europe. I think they're from Switzerland called GeoVital and GeoVital are Europe's most respected, uh, renowned, 30 years experience uh, experts in EMF protection and mitigation. And so what they do is they provide this very extensive training and they have a method by which they can come in your home. Their certified uh, technicians can come in your home, do an assessment and then give you a detailed outline plan on how to actually fix your house. Wow. So with that, I will officially drop the mic. That's my that's my spiel on that. So while you can't like, you know, lobby Verizon, probably one little person, two little people like us be like, Verizon, we don't want 5G. <laughs> you can at least protect your home so that when you're inside your house, you're in a safe field or at least as much as possible while still enjoying technology, like mm -hmm. watching Netflix, having a laptop, having my iMac, having a podcast, mm -hmm. my cell phone on Instagram live, all of that stuff. So that's kind of my recommendations. And with that, I'm going to plug my cube back in. Yes, plug it <laughs> in. It's, it's beautiful. They did a great job on designing it. Well, you know, what's funny is most of the like technologies like that are super ugly and ghetto. Yeah. And um, like the things that you stick on your phone, I have a bunch of them and they're like these little clay discs and I don't, they just look weird, but yeah, you're right. The cube is just like a little silver cube about yeah. the size of like a giant Rubik's cube for those listening. And they also have smaller ones that just plug in an outlet. I just went for the Mac daddy one. I think it's like maybe $400 or something like that, but it does, it's crazy. It does. I think their things are in like kilometers or whatever cause they're from Australia. So essentially it does, my apartment, I measured it however long it is, I forget at the moment, but I have a really long, narrow apartment. It's about 1,500 square feet or something, and I kind of did the math and ran the numbers, and I'm not only um, overriding the negative fields in my apartment, but I'm doing the apartment across from me, the apartment underneath me, and on the one on the other side. So this field comes out, this scalar field comes out in um, a, a, a circle formation, and so it's making this giant bubble that's essentially neutralizing the effects of EMF, not only on me and my dog, but on my neighbors too, unknowingly. So if they ever hear your podcast, they're gonna be like, wait, what are you shooting into our apartment? <laughs> Mary, you're a good neighbor. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about this because 
up until now, like I said, it's just all kind of hippy dippy stuff and it's not very convincing. But when I saw the studies with the chickens and the cows, I'm like, there's no placebo there. Mm -hmm. They're biologically healthier with this thing around. And they're really, they're in dangerous proximity mm -hmm. to these cell towers and mm -hmm. smart meters and all that. However, they did the test. So I'm like, okay, I'm in. So that's, that's my current deal. But look up a geovital trained um, EMF specialist, have them come in, scan your home. They'll probably charge a few hundred dollars to do the assessment. It takes like half a day at least, depending on how big your house is. Then they're going to recommend some materials to buy. And then you get a contractor to come in and paint and ground everything and get at least get your bedroom dialed in. And honestly, like I truly believe that's the biggest investment you could make for your health, especially someone that's sick with autoimmune issue or Lyme or anything like that. Like I really don't think you can heal um, effectively without, um, allowing your body the opportunity to do that without that interference. So what about when you're not in your house? Like you're, I mean, you travel a lot and there's a lot of radiation, even just from flying. So how do you kind of, um, <laughs> oh my protect God. yourself that way? Oh my God. Flying. Wow. I was like, she better not ask me about flying. Actually, <laughs> I don't know how long your show is. I'm like I already <laughs> talked for 35 minutes, 36 minutes. Um, no, I'm just, I'm passionate about this stuff because you know what? It's like, I care about people and it's sad when people are ill and they don't know why. Mm -hmm. And it's sad when people are ill and they don't know how to fix it. And so they go get caught up in the medical system and get surgery and prescription drugs when all they really need to do is create a harmonious environment in their house Stop eating GMOs, get on good spring water. I mean, the interventions are are relatively simple in terms of adjusting your lifestyle. But uh, when it comes to travel, this is my pet project. This is my passion. And in fact, it's my passion so much that I'm in the process of creating an online course. Hell yeah. It'll be, it'll be an inexpensive, yeah. you know, just, I don't know, $97. Something. It's just too much to give away for free, basically, because mm -hmm. it's 20 years of my work and research on travel. Uh but I'll give you as much as I can right now in the interest of time. I'll start by saying that the reason I'm so passionate about hacking air travel specifically is because it's my kryptonite. It's the thing that just wrecks me. And that totally pisses me off because I love to go to different places on Earth. Uh, you didn't hear me say I like to travel. A lot of people say, oh, I love to travel. I fucking hate travel. <laughs> <laughs> but I like to explore different realms of the known world, you know, so I like going to different places, but the time in between is just devastating to me. So if I'm going on, you know, a work trip to record some podcasts in New York, or I'm going on vacation in Thailand or Brazil or India or wherever, it takes me three or four days to adjust. And it sucks because I have to actually uh, take more travel days as a buffer. So if I, um, you know, so it's Friday today, let's just say, um, Monday I had an event in New York, a normal person would fly in like Sunday night, wake up the next morning, go do that event, you know, speak at a conference, go to a work thing, whatever. If I had a thing on Monday, I'd be leaving today. And I would have to take the whole weekend to just get over the flight to New York to be like, feel like myself and the jet lag and all that on Monday. Some people aren't as susceptible to it. I don't know. I'm like a canary in a coal mine. Um, some of the things that are happening to you when you fly are as follows. And, and I've researched why I get so tweaked. There's the number one thing, which is that you're changing time zones. And so 
your proprioception in terms of where you are on the planet is getting totally scrambled by the fact that you're moving so fast at such a high altitude and we're made to be connected to the sun. And the sun to me is the ultimate biohack. I mean, I literally worship the sun. It's like God to me. And it is in fact an element of God, of course, from my perspective. So when you're disconnected from the earth itself, from the, the electrical grounding of the earth, the magnetic field of the earth, and you're scrambling your perception of where you are in space and time in relation to the stars and the sun itself, uh, that is just a huge sort of DNA. <clears throat> you're putting your DNA kind of in a blender and your circadian rhythm and your hormones and your neurotransmitters and all that. So that's part of the flying that's an issue. Then you have the inflammation and the oxidative stress that is, is a result of moving that fast through space and time, the static charge that the plane and everything in the plane take on as a result of moving through space, this electrical field that's in the sky. So you're kind of just frying yourself, flying through space in such an unnatural way. And if you just think about it, like where in nature does anything <laughs> fly that high and that fast? It just, we're, we're not meant to do that. And so, um, so there's that. And then there's the lack of oxygen on a plane. There's also the fact that that air on the plane is often not only lacking in oxygen, but is full of toxins and pollutants and germs and bacteria and all of the funk from a bunch of human animals being enclosed in that thing. And, uh, and then if you're flying during the day and you're so much closer to the sun, there's also much more solar radiation, which adds to the inflammation and the oxidation of your cells and your tissues. So, the very act of travel, oh, and the noise pollution on planes, the engine, that's very stressing to your nervous system, the loudspeaker, okay, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the baby crying, the whole thing, um, and obviously, if you're flying at night and there's blue light in the plane, if you're, you know, you do a red eye or something like that, your circadian rhythm is totally reversed, so it's just a really, really unhealthy thing to do to yourself. Some people are more resilient. Maybe it's because I'm 47. I've been flying since I was four years old. I used to go visit. My parents were divorced, so I flew a lot as a kid. Maybe I'm just burned out on it physiologically. So those are kind of the problems with it. Okay, so some of the things that I do uh, now, <laughs> like, like, let me try to see if I can encapsulate some of the big ones. Um, and also a lot of the things I do are really expensive and that pisses people off, especially people that have a, like a scarcity mindset and think that they're perpetually going to be poor forever, which they probably will because I know I've been poor when I believe I don't deserve to be wealthy or that I don't have the capacity within me to earn money enough to live the lifestyle I want to live. It's something I'm still working on. So I like to give some free tips too. So let's talk about the oxygen deprivation. Number one free tip is to do breath work before and after you fly. And an easy type of breath work for people to find and learn would be the Wim Hof method. Uh, that's something that I've been trained in extensively, um, although I do a lot of other types of breath work um, that I've learned from holotropic breathing, from kundalini yoga. It's all basically the same stuff. It's just different breathing exercises that are pretty intense and vigorous and hyper oxygenate your body, which is what you want. So if you do that before you fly and do it after you fly, you'd be amazed if you do even like 12 minutes or so, that's kind of my minimum dose of breath work. 
Uh, and as I said, people just have to research the different techniques available. The Wim, there's a Wim Hof app that teaches you how to do it. I mean, there's a lot of information out there now on this stuff, which is great. But you'll be amazed how much that improves the whole um, experience of travel. Now, if you're so situated in a seat where you're not going to get arrested by doing breath work in the middle of the flight, you can do that. Now, because I don't like flying and because I'm tall and I've been traveling for a long time, I usually fly business or first class, not to be fancy pants, but I just like to feel as comfortable as possible in a situation like travel, which totally sucks. So uh, on a lot of different airlines, you have your own little sort of uh, cubicle in a sense. Like on JetBlue, they have a thing called Mint, right, from L.A. to New York. And I always get a mint seat. They're amazing. And you can get your own little pod. And so I'm in my little pod and no one can really see me or <laughs> hear me because it's so loud. And I'll be in there like, you know, doing my breath work. And people walk by and think I'm weird. But that's I've been weird my whole life. I'm the weird kid. And I just finally learned to love myself and accept myself as a weird person and to me, I think other people, this is the funny thing is like all the things I do that are weird to other people, to me, I live in this other universe where the people that aren't doing breathwork on the plane are actually weird. I get like, it. I get it. I'm like, I'm like the weirdo that's wearing my, my true dark blue blocking glasses on the plane because I'm training my circadian rhythm to get that's over the right. jet lag. And people look at me like I'm a psycho or yeah. like a trying to be a rock star from the 90s with these wraparound <laughs> glasses. And I'm like, no, you guys are the weirdos, yes. but don't realize you're totally destroying yourself. Um, but the breath work is huge. And then also acclimating yourself to sun. So getting as much of your naked body in the sun before and after you fly. See, your body has photoreceptors all over it. People don't realize that. A lot of people think that you just take daylight in through your eyes and that your body processes that information, that data, just through your optic nerve, but that's not true. You have photoreceptors all over your body and that's giving your nervous system and your endocrine system information about your environment. It's telling your body where you are in relation to the stars. And that's really important if you're tricking your body out of that by hopping in an airplane or even going on a long road trip. So as much of your body, as naked as you can get legally, in the sun, before and after flying, breath work, and then you're gonna do both of those ideally grounded. So you're gonna have your bare feet or some part of your body touching uh, concrete, cement, dirt, sand, grass, even putting your hand on a tree will ground you. The only surface that's really not grounded that you'd find outdoors would be asphalt, like black tar asphalt, because it's essentially made of uh, oil or rubber. So that's not grounded. Um, it's like it's like standing on a rubber mat, basically. So the grounding, the breathing, the sun. Okay, those are the free ones. Next one is, well, this could be relatively free. Next one is doing an ice bath or cryotherapy before and after flying because you want to bring down the inflammation in your body before you fly and definitely you want to do it after you fly because, as I said, you're creating so much oxidative stress. Your body is freaking out from being up in the air for all the reasons that I described earlier. So what I like to do is when I check in a hotel, I'll find the ice machine, uh, I'll put a plug in the bath, like right when I get there, I'll fill up the bath and with cold water and then I find an ice machine and I take my empty carry-on suitcase and I go fill it up with ice and I come back and I do a couple trips and I fill up the ice bath with my suitcases. It's amazing, it, you know, it doesn't melt or anything so it doesn't even get your suitcase wet because it's so fast. 
Um, even if you, I mean, sometimes you take your larger suitcase, there just oftentimes isn't like a big enough scoop, or, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever. So you, you got to find, you use like your, your little trash can in your hotel room <laughs> as a scooper. You know, it's a bit of a process, but it's, it's amazing how easy you can hack an ice bath in a hotel. And so that's one of the first things I'll do when I land. But, um, I mean, I'll go outside and, you know, take my shirt off, do some breath work, get some sun on me. But when I get to the hotel, I try to do an ice bath as soon as possible. Um, so those are some of the more free ones. Now, in terms of other hacks and supplementation, some of these get potentially expensive. The one I'm most excited about trying that I haven't is the little Blue Shield EMF protector, the little scalar machine that goes in your pocket because I can bring that on the plane. And from from the anecdotal reports I've heard, that really helps because it, it creates this protective um, a barrier to all the EMFs that are going on in the plane because that's a huge issue too. So I'm looking forward to doing that. But I do take a number of different devices on the plane. Uh, there's one called an Earth Pulse, which is a PMF device that I take on that creates a magnetic field in your seat that mimics the magnetic field of the Earth known as the Schumann resonance field. I'll also use a device called the Human Charger. And the Human Charger shines a specific frequency of light into your ear holes onto your brain. You also have photoreceptors on your brain. The human charger has an app where you plug in your flights and then you use it at various times prior to your flight, on your flight, and after your flight to acclimate yourself to the time zone that you're going to. So the human charger is amazing for jet lag. And that one's like $140. It's not as expensive as some of the other interventions. Um, then for Sub, and there's a bunch of other devices that would take too long to explain. Um, I'll just name them and people can research. One's called the Amp Coil. It's a PEMF and biofeedback device. I always travel with that. I also travel with, uh, now I have like all these different like <laughs> like um, Pelican cases. It's, it's ridiculous. I have to start like hiring an assistant just to take all my freaking bags. I'm so absurd. Um, the Amp Coil is amazingly powerful for travel and a number of other things. I also use... Uh, a hydrogen inhaler that's called a vital reaction hydrogen inhaler. It's a little cumbersome, but it's quite light. So I usually throw that in my suitcase. And then the third big needle moving device that I use is called a Nano V. And that also has a nice road case. You can just check it as baggage. And the Nano V creates something called structured water. And essentially, uh, you breathe in this vapor or this mist of the water and it drastically reduces the impact of oxidative stress, which is, as I said, one of the main issues with flying. So those are the big heavy machinery things. Those devices are like four to eight to 12, actually four to $12,000. So not something everyone would be interested in investing in. As I said, the free ones work great too. Uh, I'll give you a couple supplements and then we can move on to anything else you wanna talk about. Um, and these, you know, back to the topic of your show about beauty, I mean, these things all really are good for not only how you feel inside, but the manifestation of that health on the outside as well. I'll just throw that in there. Uh, the supplements that I think are really important on a plane are, are powerful antioxidants. And uh, the most powerful that I've found in terms of antioxidants is molecular hydrogen tablets. Uh, the brand that I mentioned that makes the inhaler, which is a vital reaction, they also make these little tablets, uh, which create uh, a hydrogen gas in water that you drink. So I'll buy like usually three bottled waters in the airport. I get the least crappy water I can find. Like I'll try to find Evian or, um, or Fiji water. Those are usually the two highest quality waters you can find. Unfortunately, they're still in plastic, but they're better than like Dasani or Arrowhead or any of those crappy waters. 
made by Coca-Cola and Pepsi, respectively. I'll put the Vital Reaction tabs every 90 minutes, two of those, and just chug those down. Uh, oftentimes, I'll also put uh, chlorophyll in there because chlorophyll is also really high in copper, which helps with the oxidation issue. I'll do a crap load of DHA. There's a company called Symbiotica, mm-hmm. which used it. to be called... We used to be called MitoLife. Now they're called Symbiotica. They make um, an algae-derived vegan DHA oil that's 50% DHA. And this also really helps with heart health, brain health, eye health, and inflammation uh, that's caused from flying. So those are kind of, I'd say those are the, oh, there's one more. Those are two of the three main supplements that I recommend for flying. The other one would be liposomal glutathione. Glutathione is a master antioxidant that's actually produced by your body based on different things that you eat. However, you can supplement and megadose on glutathione that helps detox you while you're flying, also assist in the oxidation of, um, of, of your body and the lack of oxygen and all the free radicals that are produced from being in that environment. So the DHA from Symbiotica, the vital reaction tabs, and then the liposomal glutathione, the brand that I like the best that I've found um, on Earth is made by Quicksilver Scientific out of Boulder. And they have a whole line of liposomal supplements that are amazing. And I would recommend even getting some of their um, B-complex liposomal. They're sublingual, so you just you squirt it under your tongue and you just kind of let it absorb. They also make an amazing um, melatonin, which I don't really do most of the time unless I'm totally smoked and I need to knock my ass out for an extended night of like really deep sleep. But I definitely use melatonin to adjust my circadian rhythm when I travel. So Quicksilver Scientific's melatonin, that shit is so strong because of the, uh, the absorption level of the nutrients that they provide through their liposomal delivery, which essentially means that the nutrients are encapsulated or nano emulsified in tiny little fat molecules that get into your bloodstream uh, much more effectively than if you were to eat a pill or something like that. Mm-hmm. So those are those are my my main hacks, I think, in terms of uh, in terms of flying. Awesome. So I want to ask you um, a little bit. I think I kind of know, but I would love for you to share um, with our audience how you kind of got into biohacking because you've been doing this for a good amount of time and you've probably been building up slowly. But what got you into all this? What got me into all of the biohacking was being sick and tired of being sick and tired. I lived a really self-destructive life as a kid, as a teen, into my 20s. When I was 26 years old, I was absolutely in a um, suicidal, emotionally bankrupt, um, physically really sick, um, mentally depraved, just in a horrible state of existence as a result of my self-destructive behavior and drug addiction and all of this kind of stuff. This is, you know, I moved to Hollywood when I was 19 and I just went crazy. And so by the time I was 26, living unbridled and just doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, um, led to me being really sick. I mean, I'm 6'2", just for perspective of the physical element that motivated me to get into health and biohacking. Um, biohacking wasn't really a word then, or at least not until a couple of years ago. It was just like you were just into health, you know. But um, I was at 26 years old when I had this 
amazing experience that allowed me to get sober and start to really work work on myself. Um, I was 135 pounds. And now I'm not like super fit, but I'm a thin, like tall, skinny ectomorph kind of body type. I'm 6'2", and now I weigh 180 pounds. Wow. 180 to 185, depending on how active I am. So by contrast, if anyone has seen me on video or knows what I look like, I mean, I was in really bad shape, um, knocking on death's door and was just yellow and just and really, really, really malnourished. And so when I uh, hit that critical point in my life, there was just this massive turning point inside. Somehow my will to live kicked in uh, the understanding that I had some higher potential that was not only going to be unfulfilled, but completely destroyed by the way I was living. If I didn't change, I just had this huge motivation to save myself. And over the years, I started working not only on the inside and, you know, in therapy and working on mental health and emotional well-being and just learning about myself and embracing meditation and all different forms of spirituality and yoga. But I quickly realized that you also have to have a physical vehicle or vessel that's capable of carrying out your mission into the world. And so if you're someone who meditates all day and is very spiritual and you radiate unconditional love out in the world, that's great. But if you're too tired to go do anything and <laughs> go help people, then it's not an effective way to serve. And so once I started feeling better and started to uh, become motivated to help other people and to alleviate suffering, I realized that I had to address the physical component too. And so over the past almost, God, going on 22 years, I've oscillated the uh, between areas of focus, whether I'm you know, really working on my health or I might you know, be feeling pretty good physically and then I go deeper into meditative practices and spiritual explore, exploration or whatever area of life I feel I, wa I want to work on. But um, the short answer to your question is I was just motivated by pain. Mm -hmm. And then once I found ways to start alleviating that pain, I was, was and am driven to um, help other people explore the possibilities for that outcome um, themselves for those that are interested, you know, so it's turned into something that's like a hobby and a passion and an obsession. Um, now just because I really enjoy it and it's like, God, if I feel this good, imagine if I could feel even better and have more energy. And so that's kind of what keeps me going. And also just sort of being the tip of the spear and being the guinea pig to try different things and see what works so that I can share them with people. I just have a passion for doing that. So even if it wasn't part of my job as the host of the Lifestylist podcast and doing the different things that I do in the health and wellness space, it's just stuff I would do for free anyway. It's not like, ooh, I can make a career out of this. It's just what I do. Mm -hmm. And then the world sort of started to catch up and people became uh, widely interested in the things that I had been sort of on the fringes exploring for all of these years. And I thought, oh, wow, shit, people are into this now. I could make something of this mm -hmm. <laughs> other than just a hobby. And so that's kind of what I'm doing. Do you feel like the podcast has kind of changed your perspective on life and maybe health and you know for me it's the podcast is about beauty but not just outer beauty inner beauty do you feel like for you your podcast has changed your perspective on a lot of things oh my god it's so <laughs> having at least having the show that I have for me has been such um, a motivator of growth and evolution 
it's as if I'm in an ongoing uh, master class on life taught by the best people in the world at their chosen area of expertise or craft, right? So I had no idea that I was going to get the sort of mm, fringe benefit as the host of a show of just learning so much and experiencing so much transformation as a result of being the conduit for these experts that I discover and then share with the listeners. I went into it sort of like thinking, oh, there's all these fascinating, brilliant people out there that have a lot to offer that can really help people on all levels of their human experience. And so I'm going to find these people because I'm really good at finding the badasses in any given category. It's just one thing I'm really good at is curating content and finding the best of the best and then hopefully translating them in a relatable way. But I didn't know that I would be the recipient of so much benefit. And that's what's been surprising about being the host of a show. It's like, oh my God, every time I interview someone, I'm just like, holy shit, I just had a therapy session or or whatever. Even the guy that I recently interviewed about EMFs, Brian Hoyer, that I referenced earlier, I'm thinking while I'm in the middle of interviewing him, we went two hours. I mean, all we talked about was EMFs, uh-huh. every detail, what your cell phone does, how to like stop it from interrupting your sleep. I mean, just we geeked out so hard and I could have went for two more hours. I mean, I'm not even done with my questions, but I'm going, well, I respect this guy's time. So I let him off. So now I've become, I wouldn't say an expert, but I've become very knowledgeable about EMFs. And from doing that interview, for example, my number one priority in life um, is to shield my bedroom and make a Faraday cage out of it. Mm-hmm. I truly believe, as I said earlier, that that's probably the most important intervention for my own health. So, wow, what a bonus. I get to sit down and talk to someone who's been studying this stuff for 15 years, not just two hours, and I extrapolate 15 years worth of his experience into two hours, and I get to assimilate and apply that information. And then, of course, um, more deeply embed and ingrain that knowledge within myself by quote unquote teaching it to someone like you and your audience. I don't know, it's not even teaching, it's just like transmitting something that has been transmitted to me. It's more of like a conduit than like, ooh, I have something and I'm gonna give it to you. It's just like one person has it, they pass it through me and I pass it. But um I've learned so much and aside just from how I've benefited from all of the guests. It's been a huge exploration into my own boundaries of um, self-limiting beliefs, uh, pushing the boundaries of my own self-worth, my value in the world, uh, my confidence, my ability to really own who I am and to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to share my heart with the public and be putting myself in a position where I am absolutely open to ridicule and criticism and everything else that comes along with putting yourself in any capacity in the public eye uh, through social media and um, forms of media like having a podcast or a YouTube channel. So it's been a great opportunity for me to just kind of own who I am and get to know and accept myself and then um, very powerfully have that reflected back in such a positive way by people where I think I'm like this crazy weirdo guy that's into all this trippy stuff and that I'm the only one and I start putting this stuff out and people are like, oh, give me more. You're awesome. And it's so weird. It's like I'm doing this social experiment. It's like how how vulnerable and open about myself I can be to the point where I think every time I reveal something more about myself 
hopefully in a tactful way, but just, you know, about my past. I've had a really crazy life. Um, some of the things that I've experienced would be really embarrassing to share, but I just do it anyway because I think that it might help someone else who's kind of holding that shadow part of themselves in limbo still and hasn't brought it out into the light. So every time I do that, I think, okay, I'm definitely going to get rejected now. <laughs> you know, people aren't going to like me. I'm definitely like blowing the whole approval thing. And then the more real I get, the more people just love what I'm doing. And so it's this really interesting social experiment feedback loop to see how much I can push the boundaries of being opening my heart and just being who I am, warts and all, and, um, and, and sharing that with whoever wants to listen, especially in the context of being a guest on someone's show and doing public speaking and things that I do a lot. So I'm kind of becoming my own voice now, not just interviewing other people that have a voice. And it's been really fun to be able to do that and, and, and push the limits of what I think I can get away with in terms of how revelatory I am with the personal issues that I'm still working through. Do you think that your maybe your constantly newfound authenticity um, and being true to yourself, do you find that a biohack? I mean, to me, identifying the parts of my personality, psyche, ego, mindset that create a separation between me and God are the most important things to identify and to cast aside. So whether that be spiritual pride, intellectual pride, insecurities, fears, anger, resentment, self-condemnation, condemnation of others, just all of those negative thought forms, negative emotional drives, impulses, unbridled instincts, lack of self-awareness, all of those things that that sort of um, operate within the recesses of the subconscious or as some people say in in the shadow self or the unconscious self uh, identifying and exposing those things i think is my number one goal in life because those are the things that make me feel separate not only from god as a whole in that universal global sense but um, cause me to feel separate from other people and people are just one expression of consciousness or of God. And so if I'm out in the world and I'm feeling alone and isolated, that's a really scary place to be and a very unfulfilling place to be. And what causes one or causes me to feel like I'm alone and isolated and out of connection is being more identified with the false self, being identified with ego, being identified with preconceived ideas and thoughts and, uh, and beliefs that are erroneous and lack validity and truth. So I'm always after the highest level of truth, the most absolute truth that I can access. And so being honest with oneself in my case, and really being able to hopefully be objective about my own personality nuances and flaws and things like that is crucial because that's the only way that I can grow. And so there is kind of a constant monitoring and um, an awareness from that witness perspective. And that's why I'm so dedicated to meditation and all of those types of spiritual practices, because they allow me to see myself from a perspective that's different from within myself, if that makes sense. So it's sort of like, Right now, as I'm sitting here on Skype with you answering the question, there is definitely 
a higher self that's coming through answering, but there's also a personality that's present that's aware of the words that I'm choosing and how I'm being perceived and how I want to shape uh, the message that I'm intending to convey. And then there's this sort of higher self that's up in the corner of the room watching this whole thing happen. And I'm connected to that thing most of the time because that's the place that I find through meditation and these practices. So it's that witness perspective. It's the objective perspective on my little personality and my ego and my insecurities and being irritable and annoyed and jealous and all the human sort of animal stuff because you can't get rid of that shit. If you do, you're enlightened and then I think you leave the body at that point. It seems mm -hmm. most of the saints and sages that yeah. attain that level of consciousness, few of them stick around mm -hmm. to uh, you know, stay behind and, and help the rest of humanity evolve. So I'm not trying to not be human. I'm just being aware of my humanity and, and hopefully evolving through that awareness and operating more of the time from the perspective and the motivation of my higher self, my soul, my true spiritual self. Mm -hmm. But the true spiritual self doesn't take itself too seriously. That's right. You know, that's it's all just a game. It's all yeah, fun. It's, it's fun. It's, it's watching myself. Like today, I was just like I said with the the noise in the city. I was super annoyed. I didn't sleep well last night. And I was like everything was irritating me, but there was still a part of me that was observing myself be irritated. Yeah. And because I was aware of that part of myself, I don't think I harmed anyone so far today mm -hmm. and, and projected that irritation or that frustration or anger out into the world. I, I think I've been, well, no, I have been very kind and patient to anyone I've interacted with today, including my new dog, you know, even though inside I was irritable and was kind of pissed off and I didn't want to go work out this morning. It was just like, ah, oh, God, mm -hmm. I don't want to do life today. Uh, I was able to observe that to the point where I could disconnect from that sense, those sensations in my mind and body and find my center again and then have a really beautiful interaction with you. I mean, this has been so fun and it's like totally transformed my whole day. Why? Because I'm accessing the part of myself that's above and beyond and outside of just the physical issues and you know, whatever mood, quote unquote, that I that I might be in. It's like mm -hmm. there's a way to live where you can actually supersede mood, being tired, having a sore back, all the shit that is annoying to me uh, does not have to dictate how my whole day is going to go. And so it's a really beautiful way to live when you have the awareness of that and have some dominion over how you're going to feel and interact in the world. And I can pretty much guarantee that for the rest of the day, I'll be able to be in a pretty good headspace because of the connection that you and I have made and that I've had the opportunity to share uh, some of the things that really light me up, you know, to share my passion. Yeah. yeah. That's, awesome. That's awesome. I'm excited that I get to be a part of that. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's, it's so funny. It's like I, right before we got on this recording, uh, Hey you guys, by the way, you're catching part two uh, of uh, me being interviewed on Dora Vandekamp's podcast. Uh, but I got a text from a buddy right before we started this call and he's like, Hey, I got to go do this thing. He's a little nervous. It's a guy that I sort of mentor and he's like, can you talk? And I'm like, Oh God, I'm so annoyed. Like, no, leave me alone. <laughs> and I'm just like, don't want to deal with that because I was still kind of in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know. I got to, I go, got a recording. Bye. But I was like irritated. And this is my, my best friend basically. Who's yeah. like, Hey, I need you. Can you help me? And I'm like annoyed by that. But since we've had the opportunity to share some quality time and I get lit up by what really motivates me, 
now as we end our um, our conversation here in the next few moments, I'll have a totally different perspective on 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 quote unquote having to respond to that person and be there for them. Like I can't wait now to jump off this call and call my buddy Ellie and be like, dude, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? But first I had to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I had to get grounded and centered. Otherwise I don't have anything to offer. There's one of my favorite spiritual principles is, um, I think it's Shakespeare, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, uh, because I often misquote people, but I know what the quote is and it's uh, part of, it's a longer quote, but it's the first part is to thine own self be true. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a beautiful way to live because on the surface, it sounds kind of selfish. It's like, well, no, you're supposed to help other people. That's the key to life. But if I don't have my oxygen mask on and I haven't resuscitated myself or protected myself and made myself stable enough to be the conduit for service and for love, then I really don't have anything to offer. In other words, if my pockets are empty and you want a dollar, what am I going to give you? You know, I can give you some sand and lint, yeah. <laughs> but I, I first have to have that dollar in my pocket. You know, I have to have some reserves of energy and, um, and knowledge or, uh, caringness to share. And so it's, it's great to have opportunities like this because it invigorates me, um, to the point where I'm like, I feel like I'm spilling over with enough to share with other people. Cause this is how I get taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. Well, I usually ask my guests a few questions at the end of the podcast. Um, And the first one is, what are your top three beauty biohacks? My top three beauty biohacks, number one would be sleep, absolutely. And this is one I'm like, (laughs) literally, I could just hold up a mirror right now and tell myself this because it's something that I constantly struggle with. In fact, I was thinking about this morning and I I have a session with my new therapist uh, this afternoon. And I'm like, huh don't really have any problems at the moment. And I went, you know what I actually really do is that I having a really hard time getting enough sleep. Uh, cause I just, I get really hyper at night. I'm just that way, but I can't sleep in until noon. You know what I mean? Like the world is calling in the morning. So I still wake up relatively early, but I stay up late. So I notice for myself, even though I'm not that motivated by how I look, if I did, I would work out a lot more. (laughs) I'd have a lot more shirtless pictures on Instagram. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm okay looking. I feel pretty good about myself physically. It's whatever. It's not, it hasn't, doesn't have a huge impact on me uh, for the most part, except losing my hair. It's getting a little thin and that shit, to be honest, makes me nervous. They better come out with a cure for that before it all goes. Uh, But aside from that, in terms of beauty hacks, when I get a good night's sleep, like not just the number of hours, but really good, solid, deep sleep, I swear to God, I look five years younger. And then days where I don't get enough sleep, I am smoked. I look in the mirror, I'm like, who is that old guy? So I think, um, you know, this is something that's very trendy in the health and wellness circles now is like sleep and monitoring your sleep with the various apps and stuff. And I'm a huge supporter of that. Another thing I think that's really crucial for beauty is really just your attitude. You know, it's like those times in your life when you meet an elder who doesn't have the physical appearance of youth or beauty externally. And perhaps if you saw a photo of them, you might not say, wow, that person's beautiful or has great skin or hair or whatever. But it's the it's the joy that emanates from someone and the light that comes out of someone's eyes, you know, that to me is the most beautiful is when you can see the soul of a human being shine through. And that harkens back to some of the inner work that I was 
um, speaking about moments ago. So sleep and then just the ability to transmit your true self, who you really are, um, through your joy, uh, joy for life and joy for living and the unconditional love that you're able to express physically, I think makes you beautiful. And then lastly, I think, uh, I mean, it's got to be, there's all kinds of topical things you can do. Actually, I'll give you two, okay? There's one trick I have. For a 47-year-old guy, I have pretty good skin, I, I would say. I don't have, like, a lot of wrinkles. I don't look really tore up uh, facially, as some people my age probably do. Uh, and I am out in the sun constantly. So my face beauty hack is sort of twofold. It's getting tons of sun, but I constantly feed my skin with really great, you know, organic skincare products. Like my face is always moisturized in the morning and at night, especially. Um, I use uh, mostly two companies. One's called Alatura. They make a number of really high quality products. And then another one is Living Libations. Those are my two go-tos. And, uh, but my real secret is I always grow aloe vera plants and I always have a fresh leaf in my kitchen and I fillet aloe vera probably five or six days a week and throw it in my morning spirulina, weird, like disgusting green drink that I make because I like to eat aloe vera for, you know, the health benefits on the inside. But then once I fillet that piece of aloe vera, I'm left with the skin and I'll rub my hands on that and just get that really thick aloe vera gel and I just smear it all over my face and my neck. And I do that just about every day, especially after I've gone out for my morning sun time. So that um, that's kind of my exterior one is the, is the raw aloe vera. All the beauty sites basically say you're supposed to wash it off. I just leave it on. I'm, it makes my skin really tight or taut. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's almost like, um, I don't know, it's like a facelift or something. You can feel your skin sort of tighten up and stretch and I'm into it. Uh, but then the other thing is, lastly, just on the internal, is a lot of people don't realize blemishes and um, a lot of those things are caused by, and just skin issues. Um, what's that, psoriasis, is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just all that kind of weird shit. Yeah. is usually autoimmune related, which comes down to inflammation. And in terms of dietary uh, recommendations, I would recommend that people avoid foods that are inflammatory and the foods that are an allergenic and the foods that are most commonly inflammatory that people don't realize they're eating are seed oils, vegetable oils, canola oil, basically all fats or oils that come from seeds are pretty much guaranteed to be oxidized and rancid, therefore inflammatory. Even chia and flax, I would never take the oils of those, I would take the seeds and then put those in a Vitamix and make a drink out of them. But the minute you break open a seed, the seed's shell is there to protect the oils from becoming oxidized and rancid. That's what seed's shells are for. There's very fragile oils in there. And when you break them up, you're getting something really inflammatory. So pretty much every restaurant you eat in is going to be using inflammatory oils. I mean, unless you go to a super legit kind of paleo uh, farm-to-table place that uses lard or duck fat or ghee or something like that or um, you know a good oil to cook in. So I'm very particular about fats. I try to eat only like pastured animal fats, uh, ghee, coconut oil, and then really high-quality olive oil. Pretty much all other oils and fats are going to jack your skin up really bad eventually. And then, of course, gluten, obvious, even if you're not celiac. <laughs> 
I've done so much research on gluten and interviewed so many experts on it, and there's just no way it's good for anyone. It's no. just not. Mm -hmm. Humans mm -hmm. are not meant to eat seeds of grasses. It's just no. our digestive system is not equipped to eat those foods. It's just not a biologically viable food. And that includes, to me, all grains really are inflammatory, um, especially the more commodity grains that are kept in storage bins in the Midwest and are all moldy, and it's just a disaster. So gluten, and then uh, for most people, dairy is pretty inflammatory, especially homogenized, factory farm, disgusting, pasteurized dairy. I think if you're going to do dairy, I would only do raw dairy from pastured animals. That's kind of the only dairy that I've seen that isn't uh, potentially inflammatory. So avoiding inflammatory foods to shut down autoimmune and healing your gut. And there's no way to heal your gut if you're still eating inflammatory foods. So you have to do a number of tests with functional medicine to find out if you have leaky gut. If you've been eating inflammatory foods your whole life, you probably do have leaky gut to some degree. A lot of people do, if not most. So healing the gut and then avoiding inflammatory foods as much as possible would be my recommendation on uh, on the inner you know beauty that then manifests in your skin and hair and things like that. Do you take probiotics? You know, I do. I'm working on my gut a lot right now. I've done a lot of uh, gut biome testing, which means like FedExing your poop around the country and <laughs> having <laughs> scientists tell you what's in it. It's really disgusting, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of functional medicine. I'm a, I'm a member of Parsley Health, which mm -hmm. is a, a, a membership-based functional medicine model. I call it the Uber of functional medicine. It's really cool. Uh, so I do a lot of testing. I look at the gut biome, and I do cycle through all sorts of different probiotics and fermented foods. I wouldn't say I'm an expert in gut health, uh, but I do testing and I try to make modifications based on what I find. So I'm always you know, finding a new type of enzymes, digestive enzymes, digestive bitters, different types of fiber, prebiotics, probiotics. I eat a lot of fermented foods. So yeah, the gut is kind of the next frontier for me because I still have a few health issues that are troublesome, and the only thing I can seem to find that could be a bit off is gut health and digestion and things like that. So mm -hmm. that's kind of my current area of study a little bit, actually. Cool. So I got a, I got a lot of the rest of it kind of sorted. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, maybe next time we'll talk about that after you've done more research yeah. in that hey, field. You know, there's, there's a guy, one of the best guys I've found on this subject, and I'm going to uh, see if I can get him on my show. His name's Dr. Zach Bush. Mm. Dr. Dr. Zach Bush. I mean, there's a lot of experts on gut health, just like there's a lot of great people on keto and, you know, all those sort of niche health and wellness and dietary um, uh, areas of expertise. But Zach Bush is one of the only guys I've heard that, like, is not only brilliant, but makes a lot of sense. Like, you can actually understand what he's saying when he talks about gluten and, you know, glyphosate in our diet and how to mitigate the, the, you know, effects of that and how to heal your gut and all that. He's really, really good. And if you get him on your show, or even if people just look up uh, Dr. Zach Bush on other podcasts, he's got a lot of great interviews out and I've learned a lot from him. Cool. Thank you. That'd be yeah, awesome. For um, sure. So last question, what is your definition of beauty? You kind of touched on it a little bit, but I'd like to hear. Oh, yeah, I cheated ahead. I like got psychic <laughs> on you. Yeah, my definition of beauty is somebody, somebody living to their highest potential, you know, and expressing as much of their consciousness as possible in any given moment. And that usually includes people just being 
very real and authentic. I think there's nothing more beautiful than someone just being true. And even if that truth is not always pretty, I prefer that over a veneer of inauthenticity. You know, it's like, I think we see a lot of that and like, I don't even want to go there in politics, but you know, we have a president now that probably won because he seemed like less of a liar than the other people, you know? And so it's like, um, I think that people like realness and that's something that I really find appealing. Even if I don't necessarily agree with someone's view or lifestyle, I like people that just own who they are and have the confidence to be, uh, to be who they are. And, um, you know, it's like I was going back, uh, going back to what I was saying earlier. Just when you look in someone's eyes and you feel like you're able to connect with the real person, and they're, and they're there with you for that brief moment, and it might even be an interaction with a bank teller or a valet guy or someone passing you in yoga class or at the gym or wherever, where it's just an acknowledgement that I I have a soul and I'm in touch with my soul and I see your soul and I identify your soul and there's a certain honesty and realness in that that I find probably the most beautiful. I love that. That's awesome. Which is a fun, which is a funny thing to value in Los Angeles because where I live, there's this, <laughs> there's this real dichotomy because this, uh, so much of commerce here is based on uh, external appearance and, and beauty and all of that. And there's so much, um, superficiality and materialism within this culture. But at the same time, there's a huge consciousness movement here that's happening uh at the same moment you know and same thing in new york city you know it's crazy you have the city that's all about like money and success and go Mm -hmm. go go but then there's like all these great meditation and sound baths and breath work centers and yoga and there's there's a great community for that so it's it's interesting being in la where so many people are focused on the outer beauty while at the same time uh, many of them are really into the inner beauty and a lot of them happen to be really good looking too. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's, it's an amazing uh, time to be alive in this particular place <laughs> where I where I live currently because there's there's a lot of all of that. It's really fun. Well, I think in a lot of cases the outside uh, is kind of the way into the inside. So for a lot of people, they start out looking for ways to beautify themselves externally, and then it kind of leads them into this world of healing and kind of inner growth. So. Not for everybody. That's, yeah, but some that's people. true. That's true. I've I've noticed that with people that, uh, for example, have issues with acne, and they'll ask me, "What you know? What should I put on this?" And I'm like, "No, it's not what you should put on that. It's what's <laughs> it's coming from the inside. Go yeah. get your hormones checked. Like, get a functional medicine doctor. Get a hormone panel. That mm-hmm. would be the first one. Look at, as I said, the inflammatory." Uh, foods that you're probably eating unknowingly. Uh, so yeah, a lot of people are motivated or wanting to lose weight. Of course, that's a mm-hmm. big one too. If somebody's overweight and then all of a sudden they go keto or vegan or paleo or whatever, just because they want to lose weight and they're like, holy shit, I didn't know you could actually feel this good. So they start adopting that lifestyle based on a, a more external motivation. Yeah. Yep. Um, so where can people find you? They can find me, um, in Miracle Mile, Los Angeles. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm really easy to find. I'm, I'm such a creature of habit uh, in my personal life. Like if I ever had a stalker, they would have a really easy time. <laughs> I do the same five things every day. Um, no, but uh, on ter- in terms of social media and all that, 
the mothership is lukestory.com and that's where all of the video content all the podcasts um, all the podcasts like yours that i'm on uh, speaking engagements that i'm doing i have a great online store there all of any product that i ever mentioned that i use i don't sell products but i just link to them because everyone always asks me and it's a way that um, people can find the great brands and often get discounts on them and it's a great way to support my podcast uh, and the work that I'm doing because I have with some of them, not all of them, but with some of the brands, I have affiliate accounts. And so if somebody buys something, I get um, a commission and things like that. So that's been great for me and people that just follow my work so they don't have to go do their own research on all this stuff. They can kind of trust that I've vetted those things. But I think the most fun that I'm having would be my podcast, which is called The Life Stylist, three words. Uh, I worked as a fashion stylist in Hollywood for 17 years. That was my my former career. And so when I started my show two years ago, I was sort of a play on that, you know, where I helped people look good on the outside. And then I made the switch to the Lifestylist podcast. And it's about really improving your experience on the inside. So it's all about health and wellness and spirituality. And that's just like been so amazing for me and uh, I'm up to I got to check my stats actually I checked last week and I was almost to 1.4 million downloads wow that's so, awesome yeah so hopefully this year I can get up to 2 million that's my goal it's it's looking like I'm on track for that and it's it's growing all the time and I'm reaching more people and hopefully and doing it in a way that's a little bit unique there's a lot of podcasts out there but I think mine is unique in that uh, I take really out there esoteric spiritual teachings and make them relatable and applicable for people and then I also take deeply scientific nerdy health stuff and break that down into common parlance that people can actually understand and relate to and so I think of myself kind of as a translator and the podcast is the vehicle by which I do that very cool and you are on Instagram oh my god my Insta <laughs> yeah we're on Instagram live right now uh, because I just put everything and anything on Instagram. Uh, yeah. So my Instagram is at Luke story, L U K E S T O R E Y. And, um, I would say my Instagram is most interesting because I have no filter when I do Instagram lives and I do Instagram stories. I do some crazy ass <laughs> shit on there. <laughs> And I think the reason I do it more on there, like be more real and just provide a lot of value in an authentic way is because I know that they're going to disappear in 24 hours. Now, someone could like take a recording device and record them and it could live forever. But I don't know. It's different than putting something on YouTube or, or Facebook or mm -hmm. even in your Instagram feed because I don't know. It's easier to capture and it just lives there. But I do a lot of really funny and wacky things on my stories and my live feeds and also, I like people to just get to see a lot of the behind the scenes. So right now, I'm on Instagram Live with my little tripod here showing our Skype recording. So people kind of can see, wow, this is what it's like when you listen to a podcast. You don't realize that people are just watching each other on a computer monitor most of the time. Uh -huh. I think it's fun for people to have the experience of seeing some of the behind the scenes, a more raw, unedited version of someone like me making a variety of different types of content. Yes. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for being on my show. I'm so oh, happy. I'm really glad, too. It made my day. I'm like so much more primed to actually go do something now. Yay. I'm excited. <laughs> and that's good. You cheered me up after having like a really grumpy morning today. So yeah. Well, thank good. You. Well, it was a co-creation. So thank you so much, too. 
Thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed interviewing Luke. We had a really good time and I learned so much. I hope you did as well. I want to encourage you to share this podcast with your friends and the people you love. Even if you just send it to one other person, text it, email it, Facebook it, this information might be a game changer for them. If you want to support the podcast, please subscribe and please rate it. It's super easy. Scroll down to the bottom and you'll see leave a review. Please tune in next Friday for an all new episode. Have a beautiful week. Mm -hmm.